Hey there, Misketeers! Welcome back to Missing Out Mondays, where we tell you what we're into. Start your week off right. I'm Tari J. I'm Lex Michael. So, this week, Lex Michael... Yes? I checked out the Amazon Studios series, The Boys. Ooh, I got a couple of friends that have checked that out. What did, what did you think? Because I'm hearing, I'm hearing uh, some consistently pretty positive and interesting things. I, uh, I think that... The experience of watching it is entertaining. I think that it is a it is a creation out of its time. Um, I think that it would have best been because if you if you know anything about the boys, um, you'll know that the the graphic novel and this series um, are kind of a take on what would it what it would be like if you lived in a realistic world with the Justice League. So all of their like corporate heroes, the seven, are based on our main seven of the Justice League. So there is a Superman, a Wonder Woman, a Flash, a Green Lantern, a Batman, there is a Aquaman, and then uh you have well there depending uh, on which iteration, is it is it a cyborg? Is it a Martian Manhunter? I would, I mean, it's an invisible man, so like, it could, it's closest to, I guess, uh, Martian Manhunter, if you, because he can phase through things, but like, he's his own thing, like, he's an invisible guy. Okay. Um, He's his own thing, like David S. Pumpkins. (laughs) Um, So, um, the the show takes a very gritty... Uh, a gritty, a very gritty look at what that would be. There's a mystery. There is um, a lot of violence and uh, a little too much like sexual assault for my taste. Um, I <laughs> you, you you only like a sousson of sexual assault. <laughs> You're not a buffet guy, right? Definitely. Right. Um, so that's that's my like. I think I would say that that's like my main grief my my main grievance is the word i'm looking for um that and there's a character named a train so in the original graphic novel the character was named marathon man and he's the fastest man in the world he's their flash uh substitute and they changed him for a uh a black man who is now called a train um and i don't like it i think that i think that any other character could have been black, but not the guy who's like, I'm an athlete, which I feel like is a very, um, you know, on the nose thing, which I don't like. Um, but that's just my personal opinion. Um, but those are my main grievances. I think that like it would have been really well situated after Watchmen. Mm hmm. But like it, it looked a little bit like one of like that somewhere in that vein. Yeah, it's very much in that vein. Like even the lighting sometimes has a very Watchmen feel to it. Um, but before the Zack Snyder DCEU verse and mm-hmm. that like I think that Zack Snyder's uh, Superman like his his DCEU is a parody of of like everything it it does feel especially now uh in hindsight since they've aggressively pivoted away from that style that template it does feel very much like they he took it so far in that direction he broke it right so and by the way like i'm one of the weirdos that now especially that we have some distance from it i am a little bit glad that something like batman v superman exists because it is such a 
profoundly bewildering movie. But what you absolutely cannot say is that he did not have a vision uh-huh. and he did not commit to it real hard. <laughs> and in a way, but in a way, like there's not there's there are no small swings to that movie. Right. You know, and I, I, I do. I'm, look, I'm glad that we didn't continue to go in that direction. Yeah. Uh, but I am. I am. I, I'm. Uh, I'm I'm the weird guy who feels a little bit like we did miss out on something when they scrapped his version of Justice League. You hear that, everyone? Uh, Lex um, no, is saying, not a release, release the, the Snyder no, Cut. I am That's not, what he keeps saying. I'm not saying release the Snyder Cut because it doesn't exist. They didn't. <laughs> they didn't finish it. Maybe you could get all that. Um, the footage is somewhere. I'm sure it's probably right. sitting in a in a storage facility or something on storage facility like it's on reels it's on a hard drive somewhere i would assume but nobody's going to take the time and and the expense to cut everything together do all of the effects rendering and actually distribute it in a way that's accessible to people it's not a real thing i get it but it is not a real even if Zack snyder says yeah it's totally out there you're we're not going to see it uh if we were going to see it they would have shown it to us already but i do think even if even if it was every bit as polarizing, every bit as uh, over-the-top grim dark, I do think we would have gotten a version of it, much like Batman v Superman, that was indicative of a strong vision and a willingness to swing really, really, really hard. Uh-huh. But like, like we're saying, I feel like he swung so hard that he broke that entire concept. Right. Um, so, yes. It... it Yes. So the boys, I feel like, exists like Snyder adjacent in that like it is like a a, a, a version of what he created, but it actually finds humor in itself. Um, like it, it actually is really willing to dive into the psychological uh, cost of the things that happen in this world. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, I think that it's, I recommend that people watch it. I think that hashtag trigger warning, like if you, if, if, if graphic violence and, and sexual assault aren't your thing, um, or if you have a history with it, I think that it, like they, they're very nice about like doing, like putting the warning before the episode, but like it's rough. So like be aware. Um, but yeah, I say check it out. Like the mystery is good, uh, Carl Urban, good. Um, uh, uh, Dennis Quaid's son, good. Um, yeah, and then I think that they're the the way that they do the story is well done. And like my roommate said that maybe it would have been better as like a movie. And I think that you couldn't get a, across a lot of the the character arcs if you had done it as a movie. I like that. I think it's just the right amount of episodes. It's eight episodes long, not too much of a, uh, uh, investment. I did it all in a day. All right. Yeah. I know, uh, uh, my good friend and friend of the show, JQ Salazar has been a, a past guest. He, he was watching it recently and he shot me a message being like, dude, I just watched the pilot for the boys. You should watch this. You'd really like it. And I said yeah. to him, maybe one day I'll have time. <laughs> maybe one day I will have time for yet another show. I'm real backlogged on TV. Mm. So maybe one day I will have time for, for yet another show. But the fact that it's only eight episodes makes it feel a little bit more uh, right. digestible. So what if you just didn't sleep tonight and instead take that eight hours that you were going to sleep and invest them in the boys? I might do that. 
So do that. The All thing right. is, like for me, that's not one hundred percent outside the realm of possibility. <laughs> that is, that sounds like the type of shit I would do. Right. Um, so yeah, that's that's my as non-spoiler as I can get about the boys. Um, my recommendation is check it out. Worth seeing. Um, trigger warning. Uh, what are you into? Well, uh, if you uh, are alive and uh, attuned to the world of cinema at, at all, uh, you may be aware that this past weekend, uh, the ninth film from Quentin Tarantino was released once upon a time in Hollywood. Of course, uh, being that it's a Tarantino movie, did not take very long for the takes to start flying fast and heavy. Uh, generally, the movie has been very well received. There are, of course, always going to be people who uh, aren't, aren't necessarily on board for the particular party. And I yeah. do think... It'll be interesting to see uh, over the next couple of weeks what the reaction to the movie is like within uh, called the Tarantino fandom, because I feel like of all of his works, this is uh, a I believe this is his longest feature to date at about two hours and 45 minutes. But also it's what is his face? Hateful Eight. Oh, if you that's true. If you watch the expanded uh, uh Netflix version too that they did is probably longer than that. Yeah. But Hateful Eight. No. okay, You're yeah. Hateful Eight's a pretty bulky movie. It's comparable, comparable in length anyway, uh, but it's certainly his slowest and his most ponderous. Okay. And it feels, you know, that there's not as much, um, you know, Tarantino is known, yes, for his dialogue, yes, for his pop culture references, but also uh, his violence, certainly, his Mm -hmm. his shocking violence. This is a a movie that is largely devoid of that. There are, there are instances of it that I won't go into because you should, you should see this movie as unspoiled as possible. Uh, But but largely, it's it's contemplative. It deals with themes of uh, uh, facing your own potential looming irrelevance. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I guess I should pause uh, at this point to say uh, I I love this movie. I'm I, I'm in love with this movie. It is my the my favorite movie of the year in part because uh, like like Tarantino's other works, I see it. I absorb it, and then it makes me want to almost need to ravenously turn around and devour about a hundred other movies right. that he used as reference points. Now, uh, again, a lot of people might take issue with how uh, kind of slow, kind of ponderous the movie is. All right, so you've got Leonardo DiCaprio and you've got Brad Pitt as your two leads, and uh, DiCaprio plays uh, Rick Dalton, who is an actor who was on a very successful Western TV show that got canceled. He was trying to transition into film, and it didn't quite pan out, so he's trying to figure out, how can I how can I resuscitate my career? Mm-hmm. And he's playing, you know, the the heavy roles in, in pilots, and he's faced with the prospect of uh, having to go to Italy and make Westerns. Uh, and you, Tari, you know, uh, and if you've listened to the show, you may know, I'm a big spaghetti Western fan. Um, yeah. uh, I think Sergio Leone is one of the greatest directors in film history, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, one of the best directed movies in film history. Uh, Sergio Corbucci, uh, likewise. Sergio Corbucci made the original Django, for example. So you know uh, you know that Tarantino's a fan. He literally lifted the song from the movie and used it in the in the Django Unchained opening mm-hmm. credits and gave Franco Nero, the original Django, uh, a cameo in that movie as well. Yeah. Um, but so there's a reference to uh, uh, Rick Dalton being asked by Sergio Corbucci to come make uh, uh, Spaghetti Western in Italy. And it's it's seen at the time as like this mark of, of shame, right? But this is something that would actually happen during that period set in the in the mid to late 60s, uh, late 60s. Um, 
that's something that would happen is that these Italian Western directors would be looking for the the biggest A-list Hollywood stars that they could get, but those actors didn't want to go to Italy and and make westerns. It was seen as, a, a, if you'll pardon the use of the the expression, seen as a bit of a, a ghetto. And so that's how you end up with actors uh, who are maybe in a bit of a fallow period in their careers, like uh, Burt Reynolds. That's how you get Burt Reynolds in uh, Navajo Joe mm-hmm. uh, for Sergio Corbucci, for right. example. So like if if stuff like this. Uh, it tickles your fancy if you're fascinated with with that period of Hollywood. If you're fascinated with those movies and those artists and those actors and those directors, this this movie is just it's pure it's pure candy. But you also have an actor, and this is a theme that comes up repeatedly in the film. You have an actor who thinks his best days are almost assuredly behind him, and tr- figuring out a way to come to terms with that uncertainty. Um, what wh- how how do I remain? Relevant. How do I continue to have something to say, something to contribute? And uh, Brad Pitt's character uh, is Cliff Booth, who's uh, uh, Rick Dalton's longtime friend, stuntman, gopher. Uh, you know, he he experiences his own version of this as well. Uh, but this too, uh, and I, I was talking to, to J.Q. Salazar about this movie as well. He, mm-hmm. he very much enjoyed it too. I said to him, I said, listen, uh, on top of everything we're talking about, uh, Maybe this is a, it sounds like an absurd thing to say at this point, but good lord, Brad Pitt is a movie star. <laughs> I mean, but but so so uh, he uh, he's able to in this movie be Robert Redford, uh, Steve McQueen, and like Tom Laughlin as Billy Jack all in one, and and often multiple things at the same time within one scene. Yeah, it's uh, and I don't honestly both of these guys uh, give. Some of my favorite, I mean, I think my two favorite Brad Pitt performances are both for Tarantino. I think it's it's Cliff Booth in, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and it's uh, Aldo Rain in, in Glorious Bastards. Right. And here, I think, he's done the same with DiCaprio. My favorite Leonardo DiCaprio performance, bar none, is still uh, Calvin Candy in Django Unchained. Right. And I think uh, Rick Dalton is, is a very close second, if not uh, neck and neck. Um, and I love, I love uh, uh, profoundly the way it deals with, yes, these characters and their personal struggles, but also the film industry as it existed at the time. And again, I, your mileage may vary depending on how interesting you find all of that stuff. Yeah. But then, of course, you can't talk about the movie without also talking about Margot Robbie as Sharon Tate. Now, this movie, more so than I think any movie Tarantino has made, uh, assumes not just knowledge of film history on the part of the audience, but actually knowledge of real world history and who Sharon Tate was and who Charlie Manson was and what what happened was, you know, the night that they showed up at the Cielo Drive house, uh, uh, you know, Tex Watson and, and, the, and the girls and murdered her, uh, her unborn child and uh, the, the guests like uh, Abigail Folger, who was the heir to the Folger coffee fortune, mm-hmm. uh, Wojciech Frykowski, who's a friend of theirs, and also Jay Sebring, who was a hairdresser. Um, Manson's people murdered all of them. And it assumes you have context for that. It, feel, it feels very much to me that it, it's assuming you have context for that. Yeah. The way that Sharon Tate is uh, used as a, as a character as part of the story, I'd be very curious to see how it plays for somebody who's completely unfamiliar with those events. Because if you know what's coming, 
obviously you you see you you meet her and she's vibrant and she's young and she's talented and she's got her whole life in front of her her career in front of her but if you know the real world events you know it it stops in a truly truly horrible way right um and so the way tarantino was able to uh, uh, sort of assume those expectations and play with those expectations um, the way that pays off uh, I find ultimately very very satisfying but I, I would be very curious to see how all of those sections of the movie play if you have no idea who she was mm-hmm. um, there, uh, there's just so much about this movie that speaks to me directly or feels like it is speaking to me directly and it helps as well that I have been crazy immersed in a lot of the the, the films for example that the movie is is pulling from very heavily yeah uh, very recently like I, this movie came out at exactly the right time to co- like completely hit a, a bullseye for me yeah um, like most of his movies I'm sure it's gonna be a little bit divisive but people are generally seeming to like it it's making a bunch of money um, so I, I don't think we got to worry about this kid I think he's gonna be okay but uh, if I, I saw somebody I don't know who said it somebody on Twitter but Quentin Tarantino's talked about how, you know, he feels directing is a young man's game, right? He, he's talked for a long time about, I'm going to do 10 movies, then retire, and maybe write novels or write, uh, you know, film uh, analysis. Okay. Uh, this would be his ninth movie. Uh, he's actually he's talking about doing a Star Trek, which I think would be really funny. If that actually comes to pass, I think it'd be hilarious if his final movie was a Star Trek movie. Yeah. But... Uh, this movie feels like the culmination of everything he has been playing with since he started making movies. And uh, to paraphrase, again, I, I, I wish I could remember who was saying it, but uh, to paraphrase what I, what I saw somebody saying on Twitter was, uh, uh, if he were to retire on this one, I'd get it. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want that. I want this dude to keep making movies. The fact that there's a real chance we're only going to get one more movie from this dude uh, bums me out. But if he wanted to retire on this one, it would make a lot of sense. Yeah. This feels like it could be a uh, career-defining statement. Uh, I love this movie a lot, and I, I understand, like, even if even if nothing about it rubs you the wrong way. And, of course, look, there are people who have already taken issue, for example, with uh, the depiction of Bruce Lee in the movie. Your mileage may vary. Um, accepted. But... Uh, I love this movie a lot, and there's going to be a lot to talk about, to pick apart. Uh, the cast in this thing is absolutely, absolutely wild. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see a lot of uh, familiar faces from Tarantino's rep company that aren't necessarily in the trailers. But, uh, you know, you've got, like, Pacino shows up for a minute. Uh, you've got Luke Perry in one of his final roles before he Aww. passed away. Uh, Timothy Oliphant. Uh, you've got uh, uh, Emil Hirsch. Uh, you've got uh, uh, Lena Dunham pops up for a second. Oh, cool! Which is which is interesting. Um, but uh, Kurt Russell is there for a minute. Uh, Bruce Dern has a part. It's uh, it's fuck. I really like it. I really like it. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll see. We'll see how how uh, what w- what direction the discourse moves in. Yeah. But but again, I I am very curious to know what it's like for people who who didn't know who don't know who Sharon Tate was who don't know much of anything about the Manson murders who yeah. don't know you know Spawn Ranch the Spawn movie ranch is a location in the movie mm-hmm. and if you don't you know if you don't know anything about how the the family essentially lived out on on Spawn Ranch 
you may not make that a, a direct association, right? Because they don't they don't have um, you know, there's not a, there's not a voiceover explaining those elements of it for right. you. But what is cool about there's a there's a sequence where Cliff Booth visits the Spawn Ranch. He does a really like within this big movie it's almost like there's a horror short film and without uh over aggressive music cues without any kind of like boo type thing you you know based on the filmmaking language you know this is a bad 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 place right uh but it, it, it'll be interesting uh to see how it how it plays uh, yeah. how, how those elements function within the story uh in from the point of view of somebody who doesn't know that history at all and i don't think you can say that about any of his other movies i think you could watch inglorious bastards not knowing a single thing about the second world war and you don't need to right um and maybe you don't need to know anything about late 60s hollywood and uh sharon tate and the manson family to enjoy this movie fully but i I know for sure you would get a great deal more out of it. Right. Um, yeah. Well, if I uh, if I end up seeing it because I know nothing about old Hollywood, I will let you know how I feel and things that like maybe I missed. I'll be like, you'll be like, oh my gosh, did you catch this thing? And I'm like, no. Yeah. And and I also uh, I also read uh, Helter Skelter, the the book, like the definitive book on the Manson crimes that was written co-authored by the prosecuting attorney in the case. Um, and I read it many years ago, but there were a handful of things in the movie where I was like, oh yeah, that's right out of, that's right out of the book, right out of history, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I, I, I can definitely see how it's not going to be for everybody. It feels like it is exactly for me. Yeah. Um, I, loved the shit out of it i'm very much looking forward to seeing it again also the soundtrack is dope and it's a massive track list yeah and uh i know that they're, they've got to be doing some kind of vinyl release for this thing but uh on the soundtrack you know he was a he was a filmmaker who i mean i think right up till the present when uh, one of his soundtrack albums would come out, there'd be little snippets of dialogue from the movie in between tracks yeah uh, on the once upon a time in hollywood soundtrack it's old radio ads uh from the era so if you're listening to the entire soundtrack you go through and every so often every like three songs or so you'll get an old like a retro radio ad that creates the experience of actually listening to the radio back in the day which i think is super cool yeah um i like this movie can you tell no i couldn't like i i love it a lot and i i at a certain point uh, the better part of a year from now when it's on home media and, and everybody's had a greater chance to digest it, I will almost certainly uh, bring it in and and talk about it because uh, yeah I it's it's probably it's almost certainly my number one of the year so far okay nice uh, guys let us know what you thought if you watched either the boys or if you watched uh, once upon a time in Hollywood let us know your thoughts. Uh, you can do so at Missing Outcast, M-I-S-S-I-N-G-O-U-T-C-A-S-T. That's on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, but if you just want to talk to Lex about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or you want to give him a bunch of spoilers for the boys, uh, you where can they find you? I am on Twitter and Instagram at the Alex Michael. Ooh. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Tari J, T-A-R-I-J-A-Y. Uh, and make sure to join us tomorrow. We have a special guest, Chris James. He came out with a graphic novel called Sons of Chaos. It's an amazing epic that is about the Greek independence uh Revolution. It's about the Greek War <laughs> of Independence. Greeky. It's about fighting Greeky. Greeky fight. Yeah. 
That's actually that's the it, when the publicist put out the press release. That's actually what it says. Um, yes, no. <laughs> what is it? The the sort of Greek revolution for independence against the the Ottoman Turks. Yes. Um, really, no. It's a super cool book. Um, we we were uh, we're very excited to talk to Chris about it. Uh, book came out through IDW. You can you can pick it up. Uh, big gorgeous hardcover edition. But we'll we're gonna we're gonna dive into that pretty hardcore tomorrow. Yeah, definitely. And uh, keep an eye out on our Twitter. We'll we'll post some some caps from it just so you can experience the sweet sweet art uh, and then in our discussion tomorrow we'll we'll be diving into a lot of the story elements and the, the origin of the graphic novel itself so uh, definitely tune in for that it's gonna be a good talk hell yeah so until then we will see you soon